0: is the cloud podcast your launchpad for amazon web services
1: welcome to the cloudonaut podcast my name is michael and my name is andreas we are independent consultants at vidix we are also technical writers uh, we write a lot of blog posts at cloudonaut.io we also uh, publish two books and besides that we are uh, the programming founders of marbot a Slack bot that helps you to monitor uh, your AWS setup. So, in a short summary, all videos related to AWS. And in this podcast, Andreas and I are talking about an AWS related topic every other week. And the clue is that only one of us knows the topic up front. And this time, Andreas prepared a topic for us. And I don't know what we're going to talk about. So, this is uh, a surprise to me as well to uh, you, our listener. So let's ask Andreas, uh, what's the topic of, of this week?
0: Yeah, Michael. So um, we will talk about AWS account structures. And more specifically, we will talk about how to use AWS organizations. Um, and, um, I want to dive a little bit into something that came to my mind when observing what uh, our uh, our consulting customers are doing. And yeah, some good, um, some best practices and maybe some best, some practices that do not fit um, very well.
1: Okay, I see. So that sounds uh, interesting. Um, So I think we can just get started because I'm familiar with organizations, but I guess not everyone else is familiar with them. So maybe you can give a short introduction into what is an AWS account and, and, and things like this. Yeah.
0: Yeah, of course. So um, I will start with um, what is an AWS account? Um, So I think sometimes that's a little bit um, hard to to get because yeah, the term account (laughs) is probably (laughs) used for a hundred different things, right? So I like to use the following two ways to describe the concept of an AWS account. So the first thing is you can think of it, it is a tenant in Amazon's multi-tenant cloud. So basically um, your account, your account ID is one tenant in, in that system. Or uh, I also like to think about an AWS account as a virtual data center because all the resources that you create on AWS belong to an AWS account. So an AWS account owns your resources. It's basically the owner of your resources. So EC2 instances, F3 buckets, RDS. Whatever you do on AWS, um, every resource we create uh, is owned by an AWS account. And the AWS account has nothing to do with how do you log into the management console or something like that. The AWS account is just, uh, yes, the t- the tenant that is behind all that. So that's how you think about it. And um, the, the important part here is um, we use AWS accounts to um, draw the line between different aspects of operating workloads on AWS. So I have to mention here that sometimes there are other ways of doing that, but they do not fit 100%. They do not uh, really cover everything in every detail. So if you want to separate workloads uh, on billing and costs, having multiple AWS accounts is basically your only option to really do that to 100%. The same is true for identity and access management. If you want to deploy two workloads on AWS and you want to make sure um, that these workloads are not able to interact with each other in any way um, and that also the the users, the administrators that log in are not uh, able to uh, access both environments, um, the only really way to, to do that to isolate that workloads is to use two different accounts. And there is one other aspect that I can think of. It's um, limit management. So um, on AWS, we have all kinds of resource limits. Um, So, yeah, limits of how many instances can you start? How many buckets can you create? um, What's the maximum IO throughput that you can uh, reserve? Stuff like that. And this is always, always bound to an AWS account as well. And the same is true for uh, limitations on API requests.
1: Okay, I see. So, one thing that I want to add um, is that, uh, don't be confused, AWS seems to start calling the limit part uh, also quota, so they seem to transition into this new terminology where they call it a quota. Mm-hmm. So, uh, whenever you find the the term quota in the documentation, that's basically the same thing. So, don't be confused here. Okay. Yeah, very good. Um, yeah, and so... So AWS accounts
0: are um, have always been uh, a way to isolate workloads from each other, and what I have observed is um, that AWS started to weaken that principle. So um, it was, it has been uh, the the case that you had an AWS account and uh, another AWS account, and there was no way um, to get those two accounts together from an administration point of view, uh, for example. Uh, But that has changed over the last few years. And it has changed with the introduction of AWS organizations. And I want to talk about um, why this is, uh, I think, a problem and what you should do about it.
1: Yeah, something else that, that, that comes to my mind here that might also help to get the idea of an AWS account that it is basically... Uh, so if you think of blast radiuses, then the AWS account is basically one thing. So if you if you mess things up really badly, then everything that runs in one account could be affected. So for example, with the the limits, so if you hit one limit, everything that runs in the account could be uh, affected. If you do some serious misconfiguration in IEM, everything in that account could be affected. Uh, so that's also like another way of thinking about an AWS account. So it's the 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 blast radius where your with run in and if you put too many things into one account then your place blast radius is is maybe too big for uh, what you're going to do
0: yeah that's that's exactly the point um, so um, that is an important aspect that we will talk about a lot uh, later as well um, so before i proceed um, i want to mention that there is a blog post uh, covering the same topic as we do in this podcast episode Um, you will find a link in the show notes. And uh, I say that because you will also find uh, a lot of architecture um, diagrams there that maybe help a little bit to to follow what we discuss um, next as well. Okay, so I want to proceed with um, having a look at the history of AWS accounts and AWS organizations. Um, So for me personally, I started to getting to know AWS by creating an AWS account and I just entered my personal credit card there and step by step I deployed uh, more and more workloads and also different environments to that AWS account. So I had uh, two different applications running there, I had test environments, production environments and deployed all that to the same account and later um, uh, on my journey um, when getting to know AWS, I learned that AWS encourages us as customers to create multiple accounts. So that was really something that was really neat, new to me. That blew my mind because you know almost all web services that I that I knew before basically they even pro- pro- prohibit creating more than one account, right? So um, and AWS does the opposite thing. They say. Um, we are fine, create as many AWS accounts as you want to, uh, to isolate workloads from each other. Um, And after I learned that, I created a second account to isolate my test environments from the production environments because that was really uh, a game changer um, from a security point of view, um, uh, from the blast radius, as you mentioned, Michael. So I was able to experiment in the test environment without having to worry about breaking anything in production. And I think this is really uh, a cool um, principle here.
1: Yeah, that's true. So one thing to mention, and this is also what I hear a lot by people when they talk about introducing the new way of working with AWS by using multiple accounts. If your workload runs in one account and you think about having two accounts and then you have to migrate your workloads, this is not a easy journey. So you cannot simply buy configuring in AWS that this resource should now belong to the other account move it that's not possible you really have to create everything from scratch in the other account and then tear down the old stuff in the old account so there is no way to move a resource between accounts at least not a way that everyone can use easily using APIs so that's kind of where you will find yourself in a good place if you used automation to set up everything because then it's much easier to recreate the environments. But if you start from a manually created environment, then this will be a lot of work um, and something that you cannot easily change in the future. So that's why that's important. Sometimes people think a lot about how they set up AWS accounts before they even start doing anything. Because it's a decision that you cannot easily undo.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So and I think there is also a learning curve here. So um, the discussion is always um, how many accounts should I use <laughs> in my scenario. So um, basically, how how small should the unit be that I deploy to a single AWS account? Should I, for example, just do test and production environment and then deploy multiple applications into that? And what, that is what I described. Um, but you could even go further and say I use a separate account for each application, for each workload and each environment, And then I have, I don't know, 50, 60, even more uh, AWS accounts. Um, There are pros and cons for all these approaches. But as you said, Michael, and that's totally correct. um, It's hard (laughs) to undo that decision later or expensive to do that. Um, So, yeah, it's worth thinking about the trade-offs that um, fit best for for your problem that you're trying to solve. Um, Okay. So, yeah, so that was my personal story with AWS accounts. So... Uh, After learning that um, it is possible to create multiple accounts, I started doing so. Um, And uh, since then, I have used that pattern um, in almost every uh, consulting project that I was doing. Uh, And also we use it at Vidix to deploy our workloads, of course. Um, And then I think uh, another thing that is um, interesting, uh, at least I didn't know that, is um, AWS introduced a feature that makes it even uh, more convenient to own multiple AWS accounts, and this is called this was called consolidated billing. And Michael, do you have any idea when AWS was announcing that feature, consolidated billing?
1: Ooh, I'm Just not guess. sure. Just So, I actually I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, so the the thing here
0: is I was uh, I I was really um. It's really hard to believe when, from my point of view that they introduced that feature in 2010. Okay. So 10 years ago. <laughs> um, so that is really almost from um, from the beginning when, when a lot of um, companies decided to move their workloads to AWS. Okay. Yeah, but uh, what is that? So AWS uh, introduced consolidated billing and that solved two major problems. First of all, uh, instead of getting uh, a single bill by each AWS account each month, you just get one monthly bill. So that accumulates the spending among all your AWS accounts. So this simplifies accounting management of those accounts. Uh, And it has a a second benefit. Um, You also benefit from volume pricing across all your AWS accounts because before that you had... The volume-based pricing uh, was uh, only tied to one AWS account, and then this was, uh, of course, uh, a downside of using multiple accounts. Yeah, so that is really um, what changed.
1: Okay, um, what I want, what I want to add here, and, and you all already mentioned this at the beginning, but I just want to make sure that that we uh, highlight this here. So you get a single bill, and for example, that bill says um, your spending last month was maybe seven thousand dollars. But the cool thing is that you get that you can basically still see how much um, each account uh, added to the total bill. So by default you get a bill where you still see um, a a list of your AWS accounts with the uh, spending that was created in that account. So that's what Andreas, I think you you uh, meant when you uh, told us that. Uh, You can isolate workloads uh, by costs with an AWS account. So that's the easiest way. And the cool thing is that everything is in there, uh, including traffic, which you cannot tag at the moment. So if you use um, tag-based or tag allocation for costs, there are quite a few costs that you cannot uh, tag. So they will always be added up to the account and you cannot easily uh, uh, allocate them to uh, workloads. And if you use accounts, then that's really easy because all the costs will be at least uh, divided up on the adults account level.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, so if you really have to um, get costs per workload and you really have to do that uh, as, as close as possible um, to reality, then having an AWS account for each workload um, uh, is helping you a lot because then you don't have to... Um, yeah, to, to split up the bill <laughs> uh, from one big AWS account and to split that up to multiple workloads. That's exactly true. And on the other side, consolidated billing. Yeah, it's it's easier. You get one, one bill from AWS. You have to pay that one bill and that's it. So uh, instead of paying hundreds of AWS bills this month, that's that's of course uh, a lot easier to do. Okay, yeah, so that was what we had um, from 2010 on. And I want to highlight one other thing regarding consolidated billing. This was only affecting billing. Yeah? So there was no other technical implication um, uh, of using uh, consolidated billing. Um, basically, you created an AWS account, which was then the payer account, which means this account was paying the bill. And you could invite as many other AWS accounts as you wanted um, to join that payer account for consolidated billing um but there was no other um effect on that so there was um, there was no other connection between those AWS accounts um there uh and the next thing in when we go back in history was happening in two th- 2017 um this was when AWS announced AWS organizations so really the first version of that and I think the motivation for that is that AWS um, was more and more focusing on the enterprise um, and um, they wanted to provide tools uh, for those enterprises to, yeah, to basically use what they always have done um, to, to manage all their accounts from a, from a single place. And this was yeah, why they introduced probably uh, AWS Organizations. And AWS Organizations um, is a could say it is a service that is designed to govern AWS accounts. And it started with two main features. Um, The one feature was um, it added the possibility to create and manage accounts from the AWS Management Console or even an API. So that means you could now more easily create new AWS accounts. And yeah, they, they also provide an API for that. So that means you can also automate that. And this was also the beginning of um, consulting um, companies starting to sell landing zone solutions and stuff like that to, to enterprise customers. So basically a way to set up AWS accounts in a more automated and reliable way. Um, so I think th- this was a, um, a good thing. And the other um, aspect that AWS announced was uh, so-called service controlled policies. Um, a service control policy allows you basically to define um, which AWS services can be used within an AWS account. And basically, you can think of it; it sits on top of Identity and Access Management. Um, so, what you restrict uh, within a service control policy cannot be overridden with an IAM policy. Um, so basically, by doing that, you can um, yeah, deactivate or activate whole AWS services, or even some features or aspects of a specific service. Um, so that is uh, another thing that um, yeah came into existence with AWS organizations.
1: Yeah. So I, I always think about service control policies. As, and Now I have to be very careful because this term is already used as something else so we have uh, permission boundaries but service control policies are kind of similar. So within service control policy you would define the 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 space or the set of permissions that you can then grant in IAM policies. So if you deny something in a service control policy then it's, it basically is removed from the permission universe that you can use in IAM later in the accounts because it's by the scp not uh, enabled uh, so it is blocked by the scp so that's kind of how i think of a uh, service control policies um so it's it's the definition of the set of permissions that you can use in iam and control with iam so by default it's the, the star star um, policy but um, if you use scps you can restrict that and and uh, have a a, a much Smaller collection or set of permissions that actually are uh, available in IAM policies. So that's kind of how th- how I try to think about service control policies. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to to add this here. Maybe it helps. Yeah. Very good explanation.
0: I think. Yeah. So and um, so then so this was the start of AWS organizations and um, I was really happy about that new feature. Um. Um by the way, the aspect of consolidated billing moved to AWS organizations as well. So we still have, um, now it's called the root account, or some also call it the master or payer account, um, which is also the root account of the organization, basically the account that manages the organization. And still this, this account also pays um, uh, typically the bill for the whole organization. Um, so this is still in place. The consolidated billing feature is still there. It's kind of moved to AWS organizations. And then um, since 2017, uh, in the last three years, um, AWS added more and more features and extended uh, the functionality of organizations. And I want to highlight a few of those changes. So um, first of all, for example, um, when you create a new AWS account within your AWS organization, um, what you do is you create an IAM role in the new account that has administrator access by default, um, which means um, the administrators of your organization also have administrator access to the new AWS accounts that you have been have, that you have created. Um, and so this is one, uh, one, one yeah feature of uh, of AWS organizations, and then. AWS added more and more integrations into uh, AWS organizations. So, for example, uh, recently AWS announced um, CloudFormation stack sets um, an integration with uh, AWS organizations, which means you can now deploy your infrastructure as code templates to multiple or all AWS accounts within your organization. Um, so that means it's, yeah, it's easy to roll out the same template, uh, the same stack um, to to all or a a portion of your AWS account. Um, Or other services like, for example, the AWS Firewall Manager enables you to deploy web application firewall rules um, across all AWS accounts belonging to your organization. Um, So basically what, what I think what AWS is doing here is they're adding another layer on top of the AWS account which is called the AWS organization. And they're adding more and more administrating features um, to that level, which means you can, yeah, the idea behind that is you can more easily govern uh, hundreds of thousands of AWS accounts um, uh, centrally. So that's basically also the selling point um, of AWS organizations.
1: Um, one thing to add, um, so the CloudFormation stack sets were able to, or you were able to use them with organizations before that, but the problem was that you had to manage the IAM role on your own. So basically, once you created the account, you had to create another IAM role in that account with the uh, like automatically deployed role that you mentioned. And then this uh, role that you create was used by stack sets to deploy the actual workloads and this is now has now changed so basically they removed the need to create a role for stack sets so it somehow works magically so with the click of a button you enable stack sets in organizations or i don't know how the feature is called but something like this yeah it's called
0: trusted organization
1: access that's (laughs) that's what what is behind all that
0: um, that's basically the way how you grant access for the organization to all your accounts.
1: Okay, and with this new feature, you can now roll out stack set or you can deploy stacks with stack sets into accounts without the need to manage this role on your own, which is uh, convenient, but um, yeah, also has some some uh, drawbacks. Okay, so this is just something that I wanted to, to add here.
0: Yeah, very good. Yeah, I think the same is true for Firewall Manager and everything else. Be- of course, we... In in the past, we have been able to create IAM roles to grant cross-account access, and you could use those rules to deploy stuff in all AWS accounts uh, from a central place as well. Um, But now I think that the difference here is it's getting more and more convenient and also maybe um, less visible um, that this is possible with AWS organizations and directly to the AWS accounts with um, those... um, yeah, but there's no feature of um, um, trusted organization access, basically. Okay, yeah, so, um, so when, when we have a look at that history of AWS accounts, consolidated building, um, AWS organizations, you could say this sounds like a success story. Um, so AWS makes it more and more easy to manage hundreds of AWS accounts, uh, especially for enterprise customers. They add those features that you can centrally manage all those accounts and add more and more features that help you doing so. But in the past few months, um, I have more and more reservations and doubts about, um, is that really um, a good way of uh, managing your AWS environments? And um, I think, in my opinion, um, centralism um, causes more problems than than it solves. Um, and I want to share some observations with you um, to, to, to make my point here. Um, so the first observation is um, an enterprise um, decided to use um, those service control policies to only grant access to AWS services and features that had been approved um, by a board of security and governance um, officials um, so they want to make sure that no one in the organization uh, can use any new services that have, for example, data privacy or any other uh, governance or security concerns. And so they introduced that concept of service control policies. So that sounds uh, like a good idea at the beginning, um, but using the service control policies caused major problems uh, later. So a few examples. So the engineers that needed to deploy their workloads to AWS um, did not know about the service control policy. And they also did not know about the details. So basically, they didn't know uh, what is really defined in the service control policy. And uh, what this um, results in is engineers debug access denied errors all the time without really knowing what happens because they can't see the service control policy, and if they want to deploy a new feature, a new part of the infrastructure, they just get a denied access error, and they have no idea why. So it takes them a while to figure out um, what's going on here. The next problem that the service control policy introduces is the engineers now have to ask for permission for every change that they need to be made in the service control policy. So, for example, if they want to need a new service or if they even just want to test a new service, they have to ask for permission. And then the board um, has to decide on do we want to allow that or not, and this takes a lot of time. The deployment cycles, the development cycles um, get longer and longer. And so that really slows down um, the agility of the whole organization. And um, also another observation that I had is the administrators that had to make changes to the, the service control policies, they were in trouble as well because every change they do to the service control policy could potentially interrupt the production workloads within the whole organization. Yeah, so when you do a mistake when defining the service control policy, you could, for example, deny all access to a three immediately for every AWS account uh, in the whole organization which, which probably causes um, huge uh, interruptions. Yeah, So this was a risk that they introduced um, to the system with um, many, many AWS accounts. Um, um, so the the initial idea uh, of using service control policies to making government and security decisions um, uh, or to, yeah, to really restrict those services based on those decisions uh, was probably a good idea. But what it ended up with is Um, A lot of extra work, a lot of um, waiting times, and also a lot of risk for their production workloads. Okay, Um, and then um, the second observation, so this is just another example. Um, So um, a company decided um, to hire a security specialist um, to roll out um, web application firewalls to protect all their applications from attacks and um to do so, they granted the security expert access to the um to the AWS organization so that um, it was possible to roll out um those rules into every account for every a- application load balancer um so that's basically what those what this um firewall manager is capable of doing. And this also sounds like a good idea at the beginning. So you buy in an expert that is capable of uh, configuring a web application firewall, and um, but yeah, but sooner or later you realize that this causes uh, major problems as well. Um, so typical, uh, typical problem here: um, that the, the security specialist that you have hired um, misses important information about all the web applications in your organization. So that results in the web application firewall rules that got deployed um, yeah cause interruptions um because they block requests um mistakenly yeah so so that is um that is happening and um what also happens uh, is that the developers or the the persons that are responsible for the security of the application they feel less responsible for securing the applications because they start Relying on oh, there's a centrally managed web application firewall that basically makes sure that we are safe, that everything is secure. And but on the other side, you have a network security specialist that that knows really well about how to secure uh, web applications in general, but he doesn't know uh, the exact details of your the problems that you are solving, of the risk of um, the applications that you are running in detail. So. As a result, in my opinion, the overall security level um, declines. So, this is another aspect of that. And then again, we have a similar problem um, that we had with um, the previous example. Now, the developers have to ask for exceptions and to make changes to the WAF uh, rules. Um, So, again, they have to wait for the network security specialist to implement those changes. So, there's a new dependency introduced into the organization here.
1: Yeah, so I think I see where this is going. And I, I can only agree uh, that that if you don't need or if you introduce bottlenecks, uh, don't be surprised that things will slow down. Um, and, and one thing that I was just, while you were talking, I was just looking for ways. So how could you actually do this properly? So for example, if I deploy a change for an SCP, so how can you monitor that you are not uh, interrupting workloads? Because I mean, they don't have any knowledge into the accounts. Actually, they they just look from a very broad perspective. So what I was thinking of, if you if you could, or you could analyze CloudTrail because you see access denies in CloudTrail sometimes for some operations. So you could monitor that maybe, but for the web application firewall, I think it's it's impossible from the organizational perspective to see what actually the implication is if you make a change. You can just rely on the actual. Teams in the accounts to to provide your feedback if things go wrong because you have no insights from an organizational perspective into how those rules are doing. So that's really uh, a very risky approach because you have no data at all to to see what's going on. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the the pattern is the same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, over and over again. So I have a third observation um, that is maybe a little bit different to the other ones that I've described now, and this is. Um, Think of an enterprise that owns hundreds or even thousands of AWS accounts and they have an AWS organization to manage all of those AWS accounts. And typically by default, what that means as a side effect, all the organization administrators, so I don't know, I'd say these are three to five people, um, they have not only access to manage the organization, but they also have administrator access to every AWS account in your organization. Um, so that means a single person, for example, could delete all the data of your organization, including the backups. Yeah, let that, that sink in. So to think about what happens if one of those persons decide, um, for, for any reason, I want to delete everything. So that's possible in theory. Yeah. So, uh, Or another, another thing that I, I would worry about a lot <laughs> if I would be responsible for such a setup is, So think of an attacker that takes over the computer of such an organization administrator. The attacker has then administrative access to all AWS accounts, uh, could steal sensitive data, intrude in in all your systems, again, delete all the data. So think of whatever you can think of can happen here. Um, So I think um, the blast radius uh, is really your whole organization then if you have... One organization that manages all your accounts. So I think that is really something you should you should worry about. So do you really want to uh, have your organization rely uh, on on such a single point um, of failure here? Um, and so yeah, that's what I what I observe um, when I see um, organizations using uh, AWS organizations and AWS accounts.
1: Okay, I I think I get a point, Andreas. I hope you have some, like some ideas for us. So, how can we use the features that we have to still benefit but don't slow down ourselves? So, do you have some idea how we could actually benefit from the organizations feature?
0: Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah. So maybe before I proceed, so um, what I want to mention is um, both of us are probably very biased when it comes to centralism. Yeah. So <laughs> we live in Germany, which is a federal. Uh, <laughs> a federal system right we have uh, states and um have distributed um everything on them uh, also we we are a small company so we don't have a centralized it organization um and we see the possi- the possibilities and um um advantages of doing so and basically whenever i come into an organization that that is um doing everything in a in a very centralized, uh centralized way Um, I observe a lot of extra problems that they have to solve Um, and that is yeah that is what I want to discuss next so what's the what's the other option here so what can you do as a I would say um, maybe a a big enterprise or uh, at least um, an organization with I think maybe more than 100 uh, engineers so what can you do um, so first of all, I think um, it is still important and true that you should use AWS account to isolate workloads and environments from each other. So there is no other way to do so, uh, at least no other way that really works. Um, so use AWS accounts to to have boundaries um, uh, around your uh, workloads and make sure um, to, to leverage that. Um, but then. Um, I think you should res- resist the temptation to manage all your AWS accounts in a single AWS organization. So um, so let's think about you're a big enterprise um, and you have hundreds of AWS accounts. So of course you can group them all together into one AWS organization and have one root account um, to manage all those AWS accounts. But there's another way uh, that you can think about. You can also divide all your AWS accounts into smaller units. So let's say, I don't know, something between 20 and 50 AWS accounts per unit and then create an AWS account for each of those units. So for example, let's say you have uh, 1,000 AWS accounts to manage. Um, you create um, an organization for around about every 50 AWS accounts and have dedicated uh, teams and or, or 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 persons that are responsible for those organizations um, so by doing that you're reducing the blast radius that I have been talking about. Um, you now have uh, smaller chunks and your organization is split up into into smaller parts um, yeah which which also me- means that you have less risk uh, when deploying when making any changes to your AWS organization. And also, the administrators of your organization don't have access to everything, but only to um, a bunch of AWS accounts. I think um, you're mitigating the risk and you're increasing agility um, by doing so, because the the whole problem becomes less less complex um, because you split it into smaller chunks. And um, so I really like that pattern. And um, the second thing i want to uh, recommend is to not use service control policies or any of those uh, deeper integrations which which are called uh, trusted organization access i would really try to avoid using that features because i think they add more problems than they than they really solve uh, and they add more risk um to your to your systems um so yeah so my solution or my recommendation to think about is when you design um, your account structure and your AWS organization structure, um, instead of using just one organization for your whole company, your whole enterprise.
1: Okay, so I have one additional idea, and I'm not sure where it really fits, but it's an observation um, that if you have a a large organization and large is like more than 100 accounts, and there's a single team that is responsible for the organization it is very hard for them to keep track of all the teams and workloads that are working under their regime. Because if there are more than 100 teams that work in your organization, it's not possible to talk to all of them anymore. And the, the central team kind of loses connection to the teams, and so it gets harder for feedback um, to uh, flow back into the team so if those units are smaller, I think it's easier for the central, like the organization team, to interact with their like internal customers, and it it gets much easier if 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 the number is not too high because um, yeah we all know that you cannot have like deep conversations with hundred teams it's not possible so that's also an argument for splitting things up a little bit yeah
0: so there's one aspect that I want to mention um, and this is um, of course decentralization. Um, looks more expensive at the beginning because you have to do work twice or even more uh, multiple times. So for example, you have to uh, think about how to um, make sure you're, you're following um, um, security best practices in the accounts and, and all that stuff. Um, So there's a lot of extra work that you do uh, now for each of your AWS organizations and, um, Hopefully, or you may even have multiple teams uh, that manage all those organizations. so how do you avoid that that everyone um, starts from scratch um, so I think um, what 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 I've observed what works really well is instead of um, having centralized um, controls, um, you provide templates you provide blueprints um, that the whole organization is able to use um to uh, solve problems so in case of aws you could provide infrastructure as code templates that implement security best practices that are compliant with all the laws and regulations that that you have to apply with and you can share those templates with your organization and teams and engineers will be happily we happy be will be happy to pick them up um, because it speeds up their um their process as well and so by that, you can also um, make sure yeah, basically lead by example um, and avoid that everyone has to start on every problem from scratch. Um, one, thing, one thing that is important here, uh, you have to make sure that you're then also collecting feedback. I don't know, have a system of pull requests or so something like that to, to make sure that those templates that you provide um, continuously improve over time. I think it's, it's also important to um, provide engineers with training um, so um, they have to know uh, about security, reliability, um, cost uh, uh, topics and I think it's, it's necessary that you, you share that knowledge within your whole organization instead of having a central team that manages uh, all of that centrally.
1: Yeah, so uh, one one small thing to add. I was just looking um, by accident at, into my bookshelf and I saw one book and the title is Anti-Fragile. And I think what we just talked about could be a chapter of the book. Um, because if you have a single organization and all your eggs are in that basket, then that's kind of a fragile design. And if you want to become less dependent on whatever problems like, for example, changes to service control policies and things like this, it makes sense to split things up, reduce the blast radius, and, and create a system that is um, anti-fragile. Um, so that's, I think, a really good uh, kind of picture in your mind. And, and if you want to read a good book, then I can highly recommend it. It's not related to any AWS or technical topics, but it's really a good read. Um, anti-fragile. Okay, Andreas, I think we are done. Um I want to add one more topic here. Um, So if you are um, using multiple AWS accounts, then we might have uh, something that could be of interest to you. Um, We created a solution to scan S3 buckets for uh, malware and viruses and all kinds of other bad files. So the solution is available in the AWS marketplace. It's called S3 virus scan. So if you search for S3 virus, then you will find it. And it's a scalable system So it can scan as many files as you like. Um, It it adapts to the number of files that have to be scanned with auto-scaling. You get full visibility into uh, the system, how it is doing, how many findings it it produces. It runs in your own AWS account, so the data never leaves your own uh, accounts. And you can delete files if they are infected. You can tag them if they are infected. And... Um, So you have lots of options, and it's um, integrated into AWS, so you can uh, report findings to Security Hub, you can report findings to Systems Manager, Ops Manager. So there's a bunch of of cool stuff in there. Um, So if you really care about uh, the security of your s 3 buckets in terms of the the content of the file, then we we can highly recommend that you check out our virus scan solution in the AWS Marketplace. I will add a link uh, to the show notes. So... um, I think, um, Andreas, you can finish with a short summary and, and some uh, additional um, information for our listeners.
0: Yeah, so thank you, Michael. So, um, so to summarize
1: the topic that we
0: discussed today, so I think um, it is uh, absolutely a best practice to use multiple AWS accounts to isolate your workloads. Um, but I think you should be careful when using AWS organizations Um, make sure you are not giving up that isolation between accounts um, by introducing centralism into your um, account architecture. So um, think about having multiple organizations that manage no more than 50 AWS accounts and think really twice before using service control policies or trusted organization access because I think um, those really make centralism permanent in your architecture and it will be hard to undo those changes later. Um, So, yeah, that's my summary uh, of the whole thing. Um, Thanks for listening. I want to ask you um, for three things. So, please uh, leave a review um, of this podcast um, wherever you listen to podcasts, for example, with uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, please send us feedback. You will find our Twitter handles, email address, and everything in the show notes. And um, last but not least, um, recommend our podcast um, to one of your colleagues, friends, uh, whoever is interested in Amazon Web Services. So thanks again for listening, and um, we will be back in two weeks.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Andreas, for preparing the topic once again. Um, Very, very interesting. Uh, I learned uh, something new. And thanks for listening, and see you next time. Bye. Bye.